The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties, location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Barb Schmidt, also known as Peaceful Barb on Instagram, founded the nonprofit Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life with the intention of teaching mindfulness to others. Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life now has more than 6 million followers, and Peaceful Barb has more than 94,000 followers on social media. Today, I'm talking to Barb about her journey and how she got the well-deserved name Peaceful Barb. Barb, I am delighted to say that I learned about you from a group of 13-year-old boys. They were in my car, and they were talking and about Instagram, and one of them said something about Peaceful Barb, and I said, wait, what? And they said, what? You don't know Peaceful Barb? This is you know. So then, of course, I had to get you on the podcast, and so now I'm sort of famous because they're all excited that I am talking to Peaceful Barb. Uh, I would imagine, though, they're not your target market. <laughs> <laughs> you just made my day. Oh my gosh. Hi, all you 13 year old boys. <laughs> oh, that, is, that just warmed my heart so much. Um, no, they're not usually my target audi- audience, but I do do a lot of work in, in middle schools and, and definitely high schools and colleges and, and, um, after school care. We do a little bit in the, um, the pre K to sixth grade, but no, I love it. That is that is amazing. So what do you think is so appealing to them? Because when I tried to pinpoint them and ask them, what do you like about Peaceful Barb? They had a hard time articulating it. What do you think it is about what you do and what you present that makes them drawn to your message? I feel whenever I'm with whatever audience I am with, I am exactly I am who, who I am is what, what you get. So I, I am exactly who I am and, and I'm able to communicate, I think, to all age groups. I have been told that before. Um, that I, I, I love people. I love doing what I do. And I'm, my ultimate goal is to help people love themselves, feel comfortable with themselves and just, just be the happiest, most successful, loving people that they can possibly be. Mm. So I think people feel that from me. And I would have to say also the name Peaceful Barb. I get that a lot. People say, oh my gosh, that is so nice. We want to be peaceful. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I do believe that I teach this and I do practice this, that I am authentic and who I am is what what you get. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know, but I love it. I'm really happy that you shared that with me. The name Peaceful Barb does make me kind of just want to sit down and have a cup of tea with you. And (laughs) just, we don't need to talk. We can just sit there and... (laughs) And I tell you, I love, that's one of my favorite things in the world to do is just to sit and be with people. Mm. So I think that feeling comes across as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. I, I really genuinely love to be with people and I love to hear their stories and I just love to sit. You've been living a life of mindfulness and meditation for more than 30 years. What, what were you like before you began practicing? Oh my gosh, a crazy person. <laughs> really? So, yes. I was very... I do want to say I was thoughtful and I cared deeply and I had really deep desire. So I don't want to say I was just like all over the place. You don't know who she was, but I was all over the place in trying to sort out how to get what I wanted. So I was, I was, I grew up, um, 
in a very, very difficult childhood. Uh, both my parents were alcoholics. I was sexually abused as a child. So it was not a very easy childhood. I was a very unhappy child, but there was always a part of me that knew that all of this stuff that I was enduring at a young age was not who I was and was never, I was never going to allow that to define my success or who I ultimately became. But in the mix of all that, I didn't think that I mattered. I thought everything in the external world mattered, like what I did, what I looked like, what I accomplished, what I achieved, the awards. So I think that whole idea that I had to um, constantly be going and striving and being and doing, because that was where my happiness, my self-worth, where people were going to notice me and, and think that I was somebody came from. So that's who I was way back in the in the early days was just everything that I could possibly get and do had to come from the external world. Mm. And so when you're going like that all the time, I think obviously I was successful and all of that. I think people resonated with me to an extent in this idea that you keep going all the time. So the outside world thought I was fine. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, she's great. She's complicated and all these things. But inside I was like, oh, if you only knew who I was. And I was really just dying inside trying to figure it all out because I still wasn't happy no matter what I had achieved or no matter what I had earned and gained and, and accomplished. So what was the snapping point where you were like, okay, enough. I've got to figure out a different way to do this. So ready for this. Um, what my career was back then was I owned McDonald's restaurants mm -hmm. and I ultimately ended up owning six restaurants. And, and as a overachiever and someone who wanted to just constantly be accomplishing and becoming someone, I was good. I was really good. So I was receiving awards. So my supervisor, the corporate supervisor came to give me an award and tell me, how great it was. And this is way back in the, you know, the late seventies, early eighties. So there weren't a lot of women in the position that I was in. And he was saying how much they admired that I was a woman. And then he said, and I can personally tell how much you love what you're doing because since I met you, you gained weight. <gasps> and so I know people gasp. And it's like, well, here we are in you know 2019. If you're like, what? And so that's all I heard. I didn't hear anything else for days and days and days and days. And I thought, oh, that's why I'm not happy. I have all this stuff, but I'm too fat. So that led to a seven-year battle with an eating disorder. Oh. And I, yeah, and it's, it is, you know, people say to me all the time, and I saw it on Instagram recently, um, someone had posted, you know, be, you know, words are just cheap, but make sure you follow them up with action. And so I commented back, wait a minute, words are never cheap. Yes, they do need to be followed up with action, but words matter. Mm -hmm. Our words matter and they make a difference, especially if you're younger, but it, it matters all the time. What you say to people matters. People take that in. So yeah, and I woke up one morning. I never missed a day of work, even though I own my own restaurants. I still considered myself a worker and an employee and it was just really a hard, hard worker. And I woke up and couldn't go into work and I read an article in the newspaper that um, they were honoring the first anniversary of Karen Carpenter's death. And it hit me that that's me. You know, she died of an eating disorder way back in the day before, in 1983, before eating disorders. And I was reading this in 1984. And I said, that's me. And a voice inside said, you need to get help or you're going to die. So the next day I drove, um, I live in Florida. I drove to Naples across the alley and checked myself into a six-week treatment center. Wow. What bravery that must have taken. I agree. And I also agree that, or I also believe strongly that we all have these voices inside our head. We, the, the head is, the mind is talking all the time and we have these voices. And I'm so grateful that that voice was so loud that it scared me. And I knew it was true. Mm -hmm. And I am a person that, um, that has deep desires and wishes for my life. And so uh, you're right. I thought I have to do this right now 
and called up and checked in the next day. And I do have to say, though, when I checked in and realized what I was checking in for, I was like, wait a minute, I think I made a mistake. Because this is 1984, no TVs, no telephones, no nothing. You are by yourself in a room most of the time. I mean, besides the daytime, but at nighttime, imagine him being in a dark room with no, no outside connection. We weren't allowed to connect with the outer world for weeks. It wasn't until the last week that we could connect with. So it was, well, I thought, can I do this? And it only took a day or two for me to settle in and think, wow, this is, this is the best best thing in my life to be talking to therapists and learning how to meditate in 1984 and doing yoga and walking and exercising and taking care of myself and making friends um, and really starting to understand that happiness and living my life has to start with the idea of taking care of myself, being kind to myself, loving myself and knowing that I matter. I can't possibly do anything in the outside world to the degree that we all want to. Um, unless we understand really deeply that we matter greatly. Mm-hmm. So was it at that point that your healing really began or did it take something else? No, it was definitely at that point where I, I really shifted. And I think it also, you know, being in therapy, group therapy, individual therapy for six weeks, um, being able to share all the demons and all of the traumas and all of the thoughts and experiences and feelings and sadnesses and sufferings that I had been enduring for born in 56, so what, uh, 28 years, um, was incredibly powerful Mm -hmm. and helped me start to unload and unpack all that. And the therapists were wonderful. So I think that began the the whole process of being able to transform, release, understand at least a little bit why all that happened, how it happened, and that it's not me and that I can actually live my life even stronger, more fully, um, now that I understand and now that I've been able to work through some of that. And then the greatest thing was the healing of, of my parents and healing of all of that stuff that we all go through something in life, all of that stuff and understanding that that doesn't define who I am, that it helps me become who I am, but it is not who I am, that that's only a part of my story. Yes, exactly. Did you, so you're saying your parents found freedom from their addiction? No, but I found freedom from blaming them. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes, I found the freedom that, you know, they they obviously had, they were alcoholics, so they obviously had their own stuff from their own childhood and, and young adulthood and all of that. So I, I found freedom from not blaming them. And it was a big relief to feel that I could have that freedom and have conversations with them. But it didn't have to be, you know, sometimes you think you've got to get it all out and you've got to say it all and you've got to tell it all. But I found that there are ways that you can free yourself and transform yourself and say things in a way that aren't blaming, but that are truthful. Because I knew that my mother couldn't handle it. Um, uh, I was sexually abused by her brother, my, our uncle that li- my uncle that lived with us. And I knew that that would kill her. And even though my mother and I had a very difficult, really not great relationship, um, she still was my mother. And I didn't want to hurt her, but I also wanted to be free. And I wanted to be able to start living my life and have a relationship with her that, that could actually develop into something, uh, if possible. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just getting rid of the blame because blame doesn't help anybody. And it did, certainly wasn't helping me. It was making me worse. And it was making me um, bury even the feelings and the, and the things that happened to me even more. And so really bringing it into the light. There's a Rumi quote that said, it's in the crack of darkness that the light shines. And 
That's so true that as I started to crack open the darkness of my life, the light was coming in and so much of it made more sense, but also so much of it I didn't need to rehash and didn't need to have anybody pay any price for what had happened to me because I was already healing. We'll get back to our conversation with Peaceful Barb in just a moment, but first, our kindness call, sponsored by Cornwell Properties, where location matters. Hi, my name is Sandy Hansen, and I live in Evansville, Wisconsin. And I have a nice kind of story that I'd like to share with everyone. Uh, one day I was out shopping, and I thought I had more money in my wallet than I did. And I went to check out at the checkout, and I came up short about $25. And I said, well, what I'll do, what I'll do is drive home, which would have been about 16 miles. And I said, I'll come right back, and I'll, you know, pay for everything. And the girl that was checking me out uh, she's, oh no, she says, why don't I just give you the, I'll, I'll borrow you the money, I'll give you the money. And I said, and I started crying, and I said, no, you can't do that. And she had money in her pocket, and she gave it to me. She said, I want you to have this money. I said, well, I'm paying you back. And she's, no, that's okay, you don't have to. I said, of course I'm going to. Well, needless to say, she gave me the money, and I checked out, and I went home, and I, she gave me her address and her name and everything, and so I wrote her out a check, and I sent it in the next day. So that is my story, and I just thought that's, like, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. Did you know you can be on the Kindness Podcast? Call the Kindness Hotline with your story. You can leave us a voicemail at the number in the description of this podcast. Now, back to the show. So in 2011, you founded Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life. Can you share some of your mindfulness techniques and some of the things like you mentioned that there are ways to speak to people and, and to tell people things that aren't just full of blame? Yes. Um, I had a dream that uh, I'm a part of the 60s, as, as I've said before, my generation. And so I was really my heart was deeply touched by Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, all of those, all of those real true heroes that were trying to fight all the rights of all human beings. And so it was always part of me. And I had a dream one, one night that I was already practicing meditation and mindfulness since my treatment. And I had a dream that I was brokering peace between the Dalai Lama and Chairman Mao for Tibet. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the dream saying, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? What the heck am I doing here? What is happening? This is not real. And the voice said to me, no, you're meant to be here because you can do this. Now, of course, that was a metaphor. I'm sure I wasn't supposed to be going all the way over to Tibet, but it was a metaphor for that. In my mind, peace was always something that I wanted to attain. And for me, peace is power and strength and self-love and self-worth. It's a really active word. It's not a passive, oh, everything is fine. I don't need to participate in life. No, it's participating in life to the fullest and that I can really be strong and confident and do the things that I know that I need to do in my life. So it was always a strong, powerful word. And I thought, this is, yeah, Barb, this is what you're meant to be doing. And and to carry that a step further, peace to me and my power and strength all these years, all these 30 plus years have come from becoming the boss of my own mind. Mm. Understanding the mind, becoming, a, I am an expert in the mind. I've done massive studies for for over 30 years with with all the greatest teachers in the world that the mind is our biggest ally, friend, and it can be our greatest enemy. And if we can't understand that the thoughts in the mind are coming all the time, left to its own devices, it will constantly feed us the negative 
and tell us we're not good enough or we're not pretty enough or we're not smart enough or you can't do this or that person is better than you are or be angry with that person for what they did because you should be and you should spend the rest of your life, you know, being regretful or angry or whatever it is. The mind is always doing that. But if we can understand that and gain the power over the mind and train the mind, it is mind control, but we're the bosses of it, not someone in the external world. We really can live a very strong, powerful, successful, happy life. Uh, so really that the mind leads to the life that we choose to live. And I believe that the peaceful our mind can be, the more centered, mindful, strong, powerful our mind can be, the more happy, peaceful, and successful our lives will be. So that was peaceful mind, peaceful life. I believe everything starts in the mind. So for a concrete step for that, let's say I am walking down the street and I have this really negative thought that comes in that I think, oh, that girl's skirt is too short. Or, you know, or I look at somebody and I think, man, I wish I looked like that. When that thought slides into your mind, uncalled for, how do you slide it back out? Or do we, is the goal to eventually get to the point where we never have a negative thought? What a great question. So no, the goal is never to get that we never have a negative thought. And the goal is never that to stop thinking. There is such a misconception, even today in 2019, that meditation is a practice of stopping thinking. It is not. We can, we, we can't stop thinking. And so to back up a, uh, a minute with the, my practice is incorporating a daily meditation practice, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, because the whole goal of living the most successful, happy, kind life that we can live is to be aware. So most of us are not aware. The thoughts come in just like that one came in of a comparison or a judgment. We're not aware. We, we just, okay, it came in. Now I need to act. And that is not the case. If you start to practice, even for a couple of minutes, just a sitting with yourself, um, nothing, nothing dramatic, nothing, nothing that's heavy and long, just to sit with yourself every morning for a couple of minutes and just start to become aware of what you're thinking. Wow. I just thought that I don't really believe that. I don't really think it's true, but it came in my mind. Now, what do I do with it? And so what meditation teaches you is that the thoughts come in, check them out, let them go. A thought comes in, you check it out, you let it go. A thought comes in, oh, I believe this. I think I want to explore this one a little bit more. So you start to be the the boss or the one in charge of what thoughts will I allow to occupy the space in my mind. And so if you do that in the morning, then my practice is I carry that throughout the day. So I use my breath. I'll use affirmations. You know, this too shall pass if a negative or difficult thing is happening. Or if a thought comes in like you just described that it's a judgment, I'll say to myself, wow, Barb, how do you even know? That thought's not real. That thought's not even grounded in any truth. And then it goes. Because once you combat a negative thought with a positive one or a question, it leaves. Because a negative thought and a positive thought cannot exist in the mind at the same time. So using positive affirmations, uh, mantras throughout the day, making sure that you pause between every transition time before I came to speak with you today, I, I gave myself five and ten minutes just to sit, just to let go of what was happening in the morning, to not think about anything that's happening in the in the rest of the day, and just to kind of be with myself. Be, be present to where I am right here and right now. So every transition time, I might use an affirmation. I just use my breath to just be grounded in the present moment because this is where everything is happening. But we're so busy usually regretting and fearing, regretting the past and fearing the future that we're rarely both feeding the present moment. And then at the end of the day, I use a couple minute reflection time just to kind of look at the day, what went well, what didn't go as I had hoped. And then leaving it all in this day, not carrying it into my dreams, not that they won't sometimes carry into my dreams or into my sleep, but really having that intention that I'm going to live each 24 hours 
1,440 minutes in a day trying to be as mindful and present as I possibly can. So that means we have to pause, begin again, pause, begin again, pause, look at the thoughts that we're thinking, wow, this isn't true. You know, I'm recovering and I'm, I'm free from bulimia for over almost 35 years this year. I still on occasion wake up, get dressed, look in the mirror, and the thought in my mind might say, oh, Barb, you're a little bit fat today. So now that I have a, I am in charge of my own mind, I will start to laugh. You know, I say, okay, you can go now, or sure, that's not real. You know, just really getting a sense of playfulness and fun after all these years and understanding that we don't take ourselves so seriously and we don't take what other people say personally because it's all about their perceptions and their lives. But we take the life that we're trying to live really seriously. Like I, it matters to me, the life that I'm living, that I'm kind, that I'm loving, but I'm never a doormat. And I'm always authentic and I'm exactly who I am, allowing others to be who they are. So it's really a practice of just weaving those, that mindfulness idea of using your breath and stopping and starting and taking note of what you're thinking and, and really understanding that that's where all of your power lies. Both feet in the present. Barb, thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm going to say hello to all of those 13-year-old boys, and I'm so glad that they, I know that they will listen to this interview. They might not listen to any other ones, but they're going to hear your words today, and they're going to matter, and I thank you for that. Thank you so much. It went by so fast, and I loved every minute of it. Thank you. That was a conversation with Barb Schmidt. Follow Barb on Instagram at peaceful underscore Barb. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Chloe Meston. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section.